Uh, thanks for letting me take the week off, guys. Um, I know Trent uh, is a true gentleman. Uh, posed it as, uh, listen, I was, I got to thinking we should have a week off, but uh, in actuality, I called him and was like, dude, I'm overwhelmed. Uh, I need a week off, and so thank you for trying to save my face. Trent. I covered, I covered for you. Dave. I'm always here to cover good. for anyone. I know you I are. I could I could barely concentrate on the movies this week. Yeah. I just want you guys to know I'm going to be wild tonight because I've wanted revenge all week. Revenge for all my, my friends that are people of color. Uh, I've just been enraged and had to reserve myself and diminish my anger to this politeness just so maybe people will listen. So I'm, I'm psyched for tonight because this is a place where I can just go off if I want to. So thank you guys for allowing me that. We don't have to be polite here, do we guys? Hell no, 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 no. Far as I'm concerned, they could burn this bitch to the ground. And it still wouldn't be enough. And they are lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and not revenge. 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 important um subgenre not i would say not just of horror but i feel like revenge is a film genre in itself we all um picked a revenge based movie to talk about this week i want to start with my pick for once uh instead of throwing it modestly to someone else i have an <laughs> announcement to make i've been thinking about this a lot so i chose the killing of a sacred deer from 2017 it's on netflix now i saw the killing of a sacred deer in the theater uh when it came out and i've been sort of obsessed with it ever since i try to work it into every conversation with people about movies i'm always saying <laughs> you gotta see the killing of a sacred deer um but three years later i had started to wonder like did i just make up that it was that amazing is it really you know um I only saw it the one time. So when I discovered recently that it is now on Netflix and we were doing the revenge episode, no brainer. And having now seen it two more times, uh, I actually would have watched it today, but I ran out of time. Um, I've seen it two more times in the past week or two. It is my favorite movie since 2017. I think it is the best horror movie that has been released since 2017. Kevin, I think you can, uh, I think I can get an amen on this from you <laughs> gonna pass it over what did you think about the killing well, of the sacred deer you know trent you i'm sorry to interrupt but oh no i go mean ahead. the the imaginative ways you've used to continually inflate your description of these movies <laughs> i mean 
the first episode, it was like, this movie's the greatest movie I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it, I thought it had nowhere to go. But you are so prolific with these adjectives. I always qualify. high praise of these movies. That I, every time you say that a movie's your favorite movie, <laughs> I believe you. I, I always qualify. I'll say my favorite of the past decade. Or I'll say my favorite in this realm. In this case, I'm going to say my favorite and best since 2017 that I've seen new. Well, look, I don't do any of that. I don't back up any of my shit. I say everything's awesome. Go back and listen to the episodes. <laughs> uh, I am not one to trust when I say something's amazing because I can get caught up in the moment. I will say this. Trent gets an amen. As of yeah. right now, this is the greatest pick by any of us on any episode of Speak All Evil. Trent's at the top of the mountain. We got to come fucking take him off it. All right? No. <laughs> you've had all the glory, Kevin, all your high-minded foreign picks. You've been, you've been taking all my uh, thunder for the past couple weeks now. I'm back. This is the greatest horror movie since 2017. Kat, I heard you were crying or something about this, had a rough day. Uh, what'd you think? <laughs> You're she said, "She asshole. said, fuck this movie and fuck you guys." Yes, yeah, the text I got. Yeah, I was like walking along the beach with my dog, and Caitlin, and Connie, and we're all holding hands and smiling in the sun. And I get this ding, fuck like, you, and fuck you for making me watch this movie. Yeah, and it was just sitting in the afternoon. It wasn't even like you know. yeah. Um, yeah, it's not a good morning watch, cat. It's not, but I feel like I'm most manic and ready to take notes as soon as I wake up. So I go ahead and start watching movies as soon as the sun comes up. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree that it was a good horror movie because it made me feel feelings that I don't like to feel. And I think that's why I hated it so much. The visceral reaction i got from this fucking movie i literally like i'm not exaggerating when i tell you i sobbed for 10 minutes jimmy was very confused about <laughs> what was going on what a weirdo he's like well I, I i if i remember correctly he was watching it with me and he was agreeing that it was fucked up but for some reason it just hit me in a certain way i don't know why i don't know what aspect because you guys have made me watch some fucked up shit, and I don't sob uncontrollably. But and I think it was the, I think it was like the, the the chill. I don't know. I have I have, I don't want to spoil said, Fuck it. You. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> Fuck you guys. And, and you know what? Even though it was out of the blue, it, it we deserved it. I mean, I do feel like over the episodes, you can't help but notice we must take some sort of catharsis from this. Um, just. You're like a pin cushion. We're just stabbing over and over again. Uh, I'm sorry for that cat. That's all right. So um, this is a family picture. Um, it stars uh, Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman as a married couple of doctors. Um, and they have two kids, um, Kim and Bob. There is a mysterious uh, third child, Martin, who um, you are introduced to as obviously has some sort of weird extortion thing going on. Uh, with the dad, Stephen, played by Colin Farrell. Um, and in the spirit of revenge, as it turns out, um, Martin, the child, is a uh, merciless avenging angel, and he has decided that 
Stephen has got to pay the price for something that he did in the past. And boy, howdy, does he pay. Yeah, and Martin is not, to be clear, is not Stephen's kid. Um, uh -oh. Martin Martin is played by... Yeah, it's not that you say he had another kid. That, sound, that was a little confusing. Okay, to yeah. No, there was yeah. a, there's another child involved. It's not his child. Yeah, Martin Martin's played by Barry Keegan, um, who like Dunkirk. I mean, he's got he's got a few movies. This has to be frustrating for Barry Keegan because he gave the performance of his life at a very young age. This kid fucking knocks this movie out of the park, mm -hmm. uh, and, and in fact, all the actors do. Um, I mean, but, but he really does. The yeah, he he really does. Martin is yeah. amazing. I never um, want to eat spaghetti again. That whole scene. <laughs> Spaghetti scene. Oh. You know, not long after my dad died, someone told me that I eat spaghetti the exact same way he did. They said, um, what an extraordinary impression this fact had made on them. Look at the boy. Look how he eats spaghetti. Exactly the same way his father did. Sticks his fork in, he throws it around and around and around and around and around. Then he sticks it in his mouth. That time, I thought I was the only one who ate spaghetti that way. Maybe my dad. Later, of course, I found out that everyone eats spaghetti the exact same way. Exact same way. Exact same way. This made me very upset. Typically, movies like this won't hit me this hard if you have people like Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman uh, because you have so many references to other movies that you've seen yes. that you like them in. So, yes. I, I, you know, I like a movie like Funny Games, you know, the, the German version where I'm like, I don't know who the fuck these people are so I can get into it more. Kidman yeah. and Farrell play such useless, robotic – I mean, Tremendous. to not act Calm is down. fucking hard. Calm down. And, and Kidman – Calm down. She, I love Nicole Kidman's acting. I think she's amazing. As do I, I – I'm 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 complimenting her saying that her and Colin Farrell in this movie literally come in mm -hmm. and, and act with zero emotion, zero affect. Oh, I like, thought you meant they were usually robotic. No, 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 not I at thought all. That's what you're I'm saying, saying right, right. like you know, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, the director, told them when they were filming this movie is a comedy. Come in and act like that every day, and I was like, huh? You know, he considers this a dark comedy. What? It, but Kidman gives one of the, Kidman gives two of the best lines of the movie. One is when they're just casually laying in bed, and keep in mind that that as Trent said, part of Martin's whole thing to to Stephen is, look, I lost something, you lost something. He's telling Stephen, you have to kill a member of your family or you will all die. And Kidman's just casually laying in bed and says, yeah, I've been thinking about this. It should probably be one of our children because we can just have more kids. And is delivered so casually, like, you know, like she could stand up after that and say, I have to pee and get a glass of water. Uh, and Yeah, the deadpan, I like the deadpan delivery. I thought that Martin's face uh, is just so disturbing. In this movie, it's, his facial expressions are just sickening. The story is sort of revealed over the first half of the movie, what's going on. It's not explicit right out of the gate. Um, but the kids do end up in a competition to be the more valued. And at one point, uh, the dad, Steve, is at the school asking the principal of the school which oh of the two God. kids he thinks is yeah. better. <laughs> oh, I forgot choose. about that. 
but but the kids the kids oh legs are inoperative so i mean they're dragging themselves around like so some kind of weird desperate mollusk oh, and they're like so daddy weird. i made you lunch i want to be like you when i grow up and he's just like and their legs are getting all scraped up from all this traveling around oh, they're the, doing. the moment and the moment uh, that broke me was was what you're talking about dave when the kids get into this mode of like okay, we got to prove ourselves, you know. And, and there's a scene in the beginning of the movie where Colin Farrell kind of subtly jabs at his son, Bob, for having long hair. And haircut. Bob's, and Bob's like, well, you know, like, you know, Nicole Kidman's like, we all have beautiful hair. And all of it is said with probably even less emotion than <laughs> so that. weird. And then you get later in the movie to what you're talking about, and, like, it shows Bob cutting his hair, you know, to try to get the approval of his dad. And then, you know, he, he and his dad have this. There's all, all these uncomfortable face-to-face -face conversations in this movie and bob just says like dad who's your best friend i have three of them one girl and two boys in my class and i fucking lost it like i don't know why that particular line or that scene mm -hmm. like got me it gets better every time like i i every time i watch it it's more messed up than the time before there's just so much going on there's a lot of stuff that i don't even really quite understand that's going on. And I love the, the, the husband and wife. If, if you are familiar with doctors at all outside of a clinical office setting, they're very weird people generally. They tend to be very clinical and aloof and kind of strange. It's something that I've noticed over my life. And, and they really nail this, like they're so, they have this very clipped matter of fact speaking pattern. Mm -hmm. um, our daughter just started menstruating. He says uh, at one point, at a, at a party? party. And then, <laughs> but then she mimics it when she's hanging out with Martin. She just met Martin. And she's like, uh, I just got my first period. And, you know, the same very clinical yeah. style. It's so weird. I think the dialogue being so robotic was very irking. Like, that's like, I think that's what started me being very uncomfortable watching this film. Like, why are they talking to each other like that? Like, that's not how. Is that how families like interact with each other? It like, is normally? how doc doctors are like Doctor that. They really are. I wouldn't know. Well, also this this director almost reminds me uh, in the way that like Wes Anderson creates these worlds that could almost exist, right? Uh, but they don't quite exist. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, and 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 personality dynamics between people that are so awkward that you're like, people can't really be like that. Yeah. And normally, when you see that in a movie, uh, it turns you off from it. But they stare it right in the face so intensely that, uh, you know, it's very effective. And people complain about long movies. People complain about slow movies. I love long, slow, agonizing <laughs> movies where they just play it out with the acting. And they're not trying to like, hey, look at me. Boom, bang, like mm -hmm. surprise, gotcha. It's just kind of this dread that but, so but i mean I, I i think the underlying dread but also just the complacency like the the white privilege the oh, suburbia man. the stepford wife aspect of it like i mean you know we we just we just got done talking about home invasion and like get in and funny games and you know the the parents and the and the father in particular being useless this is a massive like amplification of 
of that. You know, like I think it's almost parodying that. Like that these that Colin Farrell literally cannot protect his family. Nicole Kid- Kidman does not give a shit. Neither of them do because they can afford not to. Like thus yeah. her comment of, "Hey, we can just have another kid." I think that's what like trying to put my finger on why this movie made me react the way that I did. I f- I think it has to be that this family I feel like they just have no love for one another. Like, it's all very, like, you know, you are my wife, you're my children, like, that's it. Like, I don't feel any emotion towards you. Give, I could give or take any of you. Like, everyone was just like, me, 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 me. Like, but what about me? Except for the one good one. And we all know what happened to him. So. I mean, I, I think Bob is kind of a little... That, that was... Bob was a little shit. I like Bob. Bob was, Bob was the only likable one. I, my, that's hair goals right there. Bob's hair. I like I'm that a lot. Kidding. You're listen. Well, did did you guys delve delve into like the Greek tragedy that that he based this entire story upon? I did no, not. No, that's your department. Let's let's hear it. Lanthimos based this on, and keep in mind this is twenty five hundred year old writings here. Uh, a Greek tragedy play called Iphigenia in Aulis by Euripides. Uh, which is a Greek tragedy play. And the the scene that you're talking about, Trent, when uh, Colin Farrell is mining the principal for horrible information on his children, <laughs> one of the principals actually mentions Iphigenia really quickly, casually. Oh. Um, What's the name the, of it again? I say, you said something that sounded like Euripides. Euripides is the, is the author. Or Euripides, Euripides. I mean, it could be pronounced. My Euripides, um, Euripides. I like- <laughs> But <laughs> I like Europeans. <laughs> I like that. The, the basic breakdown has um, one of the king, uh, one of the Greek kings, uh, Agamemnon, accidentally kills a sacred deer that belonged to the goddess Artemis. She was the goddess of childbirth. Um, Artemis was already not thrilled with Agamemnon because he was the king who would be leading the Greeks into battle against the Trojans. So she demands that he must sacrifice one of his daughters to balance out the killing of the sacred deer. Um, um, yeah. in, this, in this particular play, um, the daughter chosen for sacrifice, Iphigenia, is ultimately spared by Artemis and, and, and then ends up being a high priestess for her, ironically with the responsibility of handling human sacrifice. Um, you can get more into, into this, obviously. It's uh, Greek tragedies. There's 8,000 interpretations of this particular one. That's the one that I found that really spoke to what I think uh, he was going for using mm-hmm. this as inspiration for the movie. That makes, I mean, I was confused as to why the, why the name was the name of the film. I couldn't understand. So yeah, there's no deer. Sense. There's no deer in it. There's yeah. no deer. Well, but it's just like fucking Bambi. It's so much like Bambi. Is it though? Uh, well, <laughs> if you got this, if you dial this up on Netflix, you'll also see another uh, Lanthimos movie on there, The Lobster. I love The Lobster. We don't have time to get into it right now, but um, both of them are tremendous movies. Uh, I highly recommend The Lobster once you're done with The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Kevin. Yes. 
What was your pick this week? I picked 2010's I Saw the Devil. Uh, Kim Ji-Woon is the director. He's also known for A Tale of Two Sisters. I don't know if you, uh, any of you guys have seen that. So this is a, a little more, I don't want to say straightforward, but for the genre that, that we're always talking about. You know, it opens as a young lady stuck on the side of the road. She's approached by a passing motorist. Pretty quickly, we figure out that, uh, that this passing motorist is our serial killer. I had only seen this movie once, so I, went, I wanted to go back to this because I remembered enjoying it a lot. Um, and obviously, we keep going back to Korea on the show a bunch. I think this is my third pick alone. Um, and I wanted to see how it held up. Um, and I found it incredibly bleak in, in a way that I didn't notice the first time I watched it. Um, not as bleak as Sacred Deer, perhaps. Um, but basically, you, you start the movie with, with two main players, Soo Young, um, the, the, the guy trying to get revenge, and, and Chul or Cool, the uh, serial killer. They start at opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of humanity. Um, and I think when the movie ends, uh, they end up in the same place. What did you guys think? I, I liked this movie. Guys, I liked one. Um, I thought it, I thought it was interesting. <laughs> like it was obviously very dark, but I think like this is like the serial killer thing that I was like looking for. I'm like, all right, this guy does this, that, that, and then this guy's going after him, and Bing, Bang, Boom. Like, it's that. This is the only. I feel like this is the only one this week where it was like. I guess technically, you know, the law was kind of on this protagonist side. Like, obviously, he was, you know, he turned in his stuff and was on, you know, a week leave to go find this guy. But, like, he's not, nothing's probably going to happen to him for, you know, murdering the serial killer. So he just, like, goes, like, you know, gung-ho, like, right to it. I, I thought it was, I don't know, it was just, like, it was, I thought it was fun. It was a fun watch. <laughs> you thought this was fun. Christ. <laughs> What it was I, like? I agree with that. Yeah, like an action movie. Yeah, it was like an action serial killer hunting movie. I sure. Thought it was, I thought it was it was really uh, it was nice. It's a good one. I I love the movies of South Korea. Mm -hmm. uh, every time I discover another one, I add it to my favorites list, and I love this movie. Uh, it was super. Uh, it was it was an action movie. It was completely the opposite of why I liked Killing of a Sacred Deer. Uh, it was very fast paced. Um, the best stabbings. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, yes. Really good stabbings. Just really, really good. It, the guy takes a lot of abuse, and that is an understatement. Mm -hmm. he, he takes a lot and of abuse. And you're talking about Chul, the serial killer. Yeah, the serial yeah. killer. They, the guy gets revenge to the point where you're kind of like, well, I know he, cut, he be beheaded your... Uh, your pregnant wife but uh this seems a little harsh oh my god there was a quote no, but yeah it was some bastard hammered his balls <laughs> it's like <laughs> yes uh i like i love i loved how brutal uh he was and but there was one thing that i noticed um and there was a discrepancy um with there was a capsule that was a gps and a microphone Right. Um, that he's shoved down his throat mm -hmm. so that he could track him to exact his, his revenge. Sure. Um, I just wanted to um, recreate what the microphone would actually sound like if he had swallowed it. Um, it you wouldn't be able to hear any audible dialogue. It would be just kind of more like a... 
that's true. It was really, uh, it was really clear, like, the sound. <laughs> Some good ASMR. I love that. Yes. That's a more realistic of, of probably how it would sound. But in this movie, it just picks up every conversation. Uh, Perfectly. Crystal, yeah. yeah, with crystal clarity. Crystal clear. Well, it's like some James Bond. better than it's like some James Bond, John Wick shit. <laughs> I thought this was. I thought this was uh, incredibly dark, uh, disturbing. This was sort of like, I was expecting more of a Kill Bill situation, more of a righteous, avenging revenge type of movie. But the guy seeking revenge, the good guy ostensibly, or at least the protagonist, he is. It's like uh, the Dark Knight. You know, yeah. he, he's gone so far over the line. He's he's letting other people get hurt, get killed, exactly. get assaulted. Yeah. And try, I mean, he he's so far beyond any concept of of morality that I I, I wasn't really quite prepared for that. I mean, by the end, you're like this guy, so uh, is that of his mind? And yes, the the, the, the the serial killer incredibly resilient. I think he would have had a lot more concussion symptoms. I don't think he would. <laughs> have even made it halfway through uh what he's put through in this yeah so the serial killer does eventually figure out that uh he's he's being tracked the way that he removes the tracker had me pausing the movie and going to almost throw up in my back <gasps> it's literally one of the most disgusting i also have a very very sensitive Gag reflex to that particular mode. I had to sort of just pretend. I had to like disassociate from myself when I watched that. <laughs> I openly practice fecophilia, Stop. and it's kind of offensive no. what you guys I'm, are saying no. about being. Not that there's anything not. wrong with it. Uh, like, I feel like there's a lot of shame and judgment coming my way because I don't find poop to be gross. I can't uh. say the word. Delicious. <laughs> gross i mean one, one ridiculous thing with this movie though you've got cool chul the serial killer mm -hmm. uh you've got suyan who's chasing after him you know obviously chul is a like literally one of the most despicable characters i've seen in film but how how the fuck through the course of this movie everybody they meet is fucking horrible like you know, the, ca well, the cab scene, and then, you know, he's like, yeah, yo, I yeah. got some cannibals I can go chill with. Like, yeah. it's like cannibal. How about the cannibal? I love the cannibal guy. It was awesome. But with a contrast between the really horrible male characters, and, a, and there was a horrible female character, but most all the female characters were, were like the most innocent, mm. starry-eyed, like, they were so cute, and you were like, oh, my God, maybe he won't behead this one. Yeah. I was like, you have me. I'm pretty heartless when it comes to these movies. And, you know, I'm like, maybe he won't kill her. Don't yeah. kill her. You know, I was like, what am I doing? What are these feelings I'm feeling? I, I, I really liked that they, they lay out the most brutal serial killer character. He's dismembering. It's very graphic. This is not for the squeamish at all. So you've already got this guy cutting body parts sawing them off and heads floating around all kinds of stuff and then wait there's also a cannibal and it's not this guy there's yeah. there's <laughs> actually another cannibal in the movie just on his own he's friends with the guy serial yeah. killer is friends yeah he sort of runs in these circles stops over at his uh, cannibal friend's house it reminded me of uh like the behind the mask scene 
when he's like at yes. his like mentor's like serial killer house, but like the opposite. Yes. I think like the main yeah. character serial killer was like the mentor to the other guy or something like that. Oh, he, he's top dog for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I think that like what you guys were talking about, there's a lot of, especially Dave, you talking about the female characters. There's not a ton to research about this movie, but there are a ton of polarizing uh, reviews online where a lot of people say that this is just torture porn, exploitation. They call out the fact that there is such a disparity between the dynamics of the male characters and the very, you know, plain and innocent depiction of the female characters. Um, And then you have other reviews that I found that compare uh, this movie to like David Fincher saying it's that well done, Um, comparing it to Seven, uh, Gone Girl. Um, I think the one thing that every review I found agrees is that it is expertly directed. Uh, The direction in cinematography, the cab scene alone, when when Truel is trying to get away one of his various times from getting his ass whooped, he gets into a cab and looks around, and of course... You know, there's bad people in the cab and there's like a 30 second scene where I don't even know how they did it, but the camera is constantly rotating and -hmm. just catching all this action. Like you talk about, uh, like the stabbings and shit like that. Um, I mean, this is a gruesome movie. I do not recommend this movie for people that don't like to see really, really uh, graphic violence, but it is it's directed superbly. Picture uh, a less violent Tom and Jerry. <laughs> it's kind of like that vibe. Babies, babies like babies. this movie. <laughs> put your kid to sleep at night. Yeah. Uh, just put on I Saw the Devil. Yeah. It's like a light oh, yeah, watch. This, this is a rental. I don't think this is streaming on any of the popular services right now. I rented this one on Google Play. I don't know about you guys. Uh, this is free on Crackle. Oh, it's on Crackle. Oh, yeah, that's where I watch. I watch on Crackle. Yeah, this is free I, on I Crackle. I Crackle. was your selection this week i chose the beautiful revenge film carrie the og 1976 brian de palma um uh obviously it was a stephen king book beforehand um i think everyone pretty much knows the rundown but this movie is about a girl named carrie uh she's a shy and very unpopular teenager uh in high school who's tormented by her classmates um and her crazy jesus freak mom um but spoiler alert carrie's got some telekinetic shit going on and she's 
gonna make it rain on everybody (laughs) (laughs) after they make it rain on her yes yeah um i've seen this movie a thousand times it's absolutely still holds up it's absolutely still heartbreaking the whole thing my heart just aches me too for this poor girl just right at the start with the period scene i'm like oh girl no i'm just like if i thinking back if i got my period the way that Carrie got her period, I I would be, I probably would have tried to murder a bunch of people too. Getting tampons thrown at you. Um, I feel like this is absolutely the instance of like, you know, the the monster hunter becomes the monster because Carrie just goes ham on everybody. Even people that were pretty nice to her, I think. You know what I mean? Like That's right. Nobody that, spare it. She doesn't like, spare anyone. The teacher was trying to help. It was just like, nope, everybody's fucking you all yeah. you're all a part of this now. Um, I love it. I feel like I feel like Carrie is like like mommy dearest mm-hmm. without <laughs> with revenge. Yes. You know, it's like mommy dearest sequel or it's a uh, long lost cousin. Whenever you see kids in movies getting uh, abused verbally or physically or both it's the worst victim not that she's a, a child but um, her character is very innocent and sheltered from her mom mm-hmm. again just like Dracula another gangster director <laughs> Brian De Palma yeah. uh, you know Scarface and we're going to be talking about Cape Fear uh, Martin Scorsese's take on horror and I mean it's always for me it's always kind of a home run when uh, these giant epic directors that make these, you know, crazy grandiose movies uh, attempt horror movies, they're always great. And Carrie's another one of those. I had I had actually never seen Carrie until now. What? 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 Yes. I had never. Really? I had never yes. seen it. And I'll tell you what, you can watch this if you have um, the Showtime add-on on Prime, which I don't. You can watch it on there. I rented it. It's on all the rental platforms. I had never seen it because I was already so familiar with the story just through popular mm-hmm. culture. Um, I always felt like I already know what happens. So how rewarding it. Well, you they know. sell it by showing you the climax of the movie. Yeah. That's that's the advertisement is exactly so I always felt like I already know the whole story of the movie and I already know how it ends so how rewarding is this going to be so I've never seen it big mistake this is my I mean I would I guess I can't say my favorite movie of the week because um uh the killing of a sacred deer here we go go. try to sell it try to sell it (laughs) this is one of one of there it is one of the greatest one of billions <laughs> listen one of the greatest horror movies of all time and i so might good. say i might go further it what? might be the greatest stephen king adaptation on film that i've ever seen okay okay i used to think i used to think misery yeah. was my favorite um uh, yeah stand by me obviously green mile very problematic uh, there have been a lot of great adaptations. <laughs> the Shining to me is boring at this point. It's a it's a it's a Kubrick movie. It's not really. I don't barely consider it a Stephen King adaptation. This might be As the one. If you're gonna watch a Stephen King adaptation, I just fell in love with this movie. You um, have a talent at this uh, this yes man 
thing. It's it's really good. <laughs> what, what am I that's, like? That's one my one week I'm a contrarian troll. The next week uh, I'm a yes man. I just give my opinion. You know, I'm just honest. Now you can't win. Honest can't Abe. Win. I'll just tell you what I think. I loved this. <laughs> uh, it was heartbreaking. The prom scene. Oh my goodness! When she mm. carries Carrie says, "It's like being on Mars." She's got the best-looking guy in the school, mm. the jock on the date. I mean, just kill me. Um, yeah. Her, she was nominated for an Oscar, two Oscar nominations uh, involved in this movie: best um, actress um, and, uh, for Sissy Spacek and best supporting actress for uh, Piper Laurie, who played her mom. They didn't win, but uh, this was a pretty big deal. Yeah. At our studio, we have a space echo that we named Sissy. The casting for this was crazy, too, because um, when I was looking it up, uh, Brian De Palma and George Lucas held joint castings for Carrie and Star Wars at the same time. So William Catt was in the lead to play Luke Skywalker until Mark Hamill stole it from him. So a lot of these, a lot of these cat people that we see in the two movies, were showing up at the same time and going to audition for De Palma and George Lucas at the same time for those two movies. So we could have had a whole different world uh, of so Star weird. Wars and Carrie, which is kind of a cool thing to think about. Like why these two like juggernauts are just like, hey, you want to like see which <laughs> which actors and actresses it's like jury selection or something. Yeah. <laughs> I really appreciated how tight the um, the timeline of the movie is. the 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 time of the story isn't is a it's a very short amount of time. It doesn't really uh, try to cover like months and months of bullying and stuff like that. It really, mm-hmm. you know, from from the opening of the movie to the prom is not very long. I really appreciated the economy of how short of a time you know they're trying to portray in the movie and that is very very tricky to do when you've got 90 minutes or you've got an hour and you'll see that in a lot of horror movies they they keep the time span pretty small because it's hard to portray you know years of time or even months um in, in the time of a feature film and i really appreciated the effectiveness of how you know it's pretty boom 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 you get right there there isn't a lot of uh there isn't a lot of time covered. And I also feel like, you know, in the high school setting, uh, the, the amplification and, and how quickly these things uh, get blown out of proportion are, you know, are, are pretty spot on as far as like it escalating from some small bullying to some crazy, you know, revenge. Yeah, I didn't realize that this is, um, th- they're all going to laugh at you. They're all going to laugh oh, at you. Didn't. I didn't realize yeah. that was from Carrie. I don't know. I could see your dirty pillows. Um, so there's it's a couple real, couple really good just on YouTube. If you just uh, look up like the making of Carrie, there's a bunch of great different documentaries that are on there. Um, and on one of them, Jack Fisk, the art director, uh, who has been married to Sissy Spacek since 1974 and was actually the oh. one that convinced her to audition right. for the role. Yes. Um, he's talking about how they were scouting out like places to film. And um, he had this certain assistant that he loved on the movie Carrie who found the, the location where they would film Travolta beating the pigs. Um, and mm-hmm. that assistant's name was Bill fucking Paxton. 
<laughs> we can't get away from Daddy Paxton. Yes. <laughs> we love it. Beyond the grave. Yeah, man. R.I.P. It's crazy that you talk about the fact that this is a Stephen King adaptation, and, and it might be the greatest because it's also based on his first published novel. First, so that's right. the, the fact that Stephen King adaptation started off this high, how did it get so fucked up for so long? Because <laughs> it took, it, I mean, you've got some in there. You've got Stand There's By Me. There's a lot you've of got, bad ones. You've got the Shawshank Redemption, but then you oh, have like sometimes they come back. What, you hate what? Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption. I, 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 this is the most overrated movie. You just hate Morgan Freeman. Yeah, in every I think movie. that's what the problem is. I don't like Morgan Freeman. No, I don't. I don't like. I don't like Morgan Freeman, and I don't like Shawshank Redemption. But just for for a movie like this to be made in 1976, uh, and a book which I think the book was published in '74, uh, yes. this was like super coked up Stephen King. So who knows how long it took him to write? Uh, he said that he used to write some of these books in like a weekend, just on a bender. Oh, can you but, imagine? You know, it's. I love the fact that this yes. this movie all all of the lead characters for the most part are females. And you didn't see that a lot like back then. Like all of your main characters are females, which on the surface seems like a really cool thing. But then like looking at it 40 years later, there's like this, like they, he covers like the spectrum of female stereotypes. Like you have the meek sissy spacex carry, you know, character. Uh, you have uh, the popular girl that's a super bitch. You have the popular girl that has a change of heart. You have yeah. the, the hat-wearing jock girl that's like the shock and awe and always making the cracks. hat. Um, I can't. She, you know, with she the wore, prom dress, she wore that hat with the prom dress. No, here's you. why. Absolutely. She she wore the she wore the hat to the audition, and Brian De Palma asked her to wear it for the entire movie. Well, I just. Was it so we would know that it was that shitty character? Like, we could, because she was so basic that she looked like everybody else that we had to know well, that she was the jockey one? Do you also recognize that actress and what other famous horror movies she's in? No. No, tell me. Halloween. <gasps> she's she's oh! one of Laurie Strode's friends. Yeah. Playing basically the same character, yep. just without the hat. Yep. She was the one that was banging <laughs> the dude. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, no, I didn't notice that. <laughs> Love it. No, I, you know, Trent, I may agree with you um, about this being the best Stephen King adaptation. I think it is. Because I, I also, for the same reason, the, uh, the only other one that would be up there would be The Shining. And you're right about that being Stanley Kubrick's vision of, a, right. of, his, of his story, because um, it, it really takes a lot of liberties. Um, I was just trying to think of it. It kind of reminds me of the remake of Suspiria, which basically just took the setting um, right. and yes. the whole, the vibe of the movie yes. and then made a movie about yes. it. So it's not that far off like Suspiria is, but um, you know Kubrick definitely was a control freak who had a lot of tweaks. Yeah, and not that not that you know Stephen King's opinion of an adaptation of his work because obviously he's not going to be able to be objective at least i don't think you know these are his his babies that are being um you know re reimagined but mm -hmm. he hates he hates the shining he he thinks the shining is absolute garbage 
Yeah, the thing is, is Stephen King is really, really good at what he does. Kubrick is a genius at what he does. I think he's totally next level. I really, I loved the, um, there, there's this sort of a noir, and, and Cape Fear, I would say, similar. There's, there's this very noir type feel. It's so dark and almost, um, almost comic book dark at times with the mother, uh, the, the whole, the opening scene. I mean, the whole opening mm-hmm. In the girls' gym, the period. I mean, I was yeah. like, I just was astounded. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It's so incredible. And then, yeah. uh, you know, when when she's Carrie's trying to tell her mom what happened that you know she uh, got her period, and her mom is so insane. One of my oh, favorite man. quotes was, uh, "After the blood comes the boys sniffing like dogs. Mm, I mean, it's so like true. the most so bizarre true. stuff. A lot of, yeah. This is the, this episode has the most menstruation, I think, <laughs> in it. A lot of, it's menstruation week. Double menstruation. <laughs> Not for me, but it's fine. Carrie reminded me a lot. I kept thinking, and, and it's weird because this movie was obviously influenced by Carrie, but um, Tangled. Wow. Right, the Disney, the Disney, the Disney movie Tangled. It, it feels good, though. Sure does. I- <laughs> I love getting even. Hey, sometimes you gotta get even. You gotta even the score. (laughs) I agree. I'm not above it. The movie I picked um, this week was Cape Fear. And Cape Fear is uh, Martin Scorsese. Um, And again, the, the gangster movie guys uh, slaying it in the genre of horror. Although this is definitely a horror movie, but it's kind of like a noir thriller. Yes. And mm-hmm. very much like Dracula, it pays a lot of homage to the 1950s. And it's a remake uh, of a movie. Um, and for this movie, uh, you know, I was a little out of it this week, um, but I this is one of my favorite movies. And I know a lot about it, but um, I didn't I didn't research it fresh, um, but I don't remember the actors' names. But most of the characters, besides four, I'm gonna say like the five essential main characters, uh, which would be Nick Nolte, Robert De Niro, Jessica Lange, um, and um, Jodan Baker. Who's the who's the uh, the girl that he plays racquetball with? Elena oh, Douglas. Elena Douglas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That scene's classic. We used it in the other episode, but um, they used a lot of the actors that starred in the original uh, Cape Fear. Right. Robert um, Mitchell, detective. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and it was like uh, it was really cool, but it was a little bit funny in the way that. Um, this, the stinker of the week last week when a stranger calls, um, you just I, I don't know maybe it's changed a lot but um, if we definitely had to go against the cops that they show in these movies, uh, 
you know, right now, like, you know, is happening in our country, it would be no sweat. These guys are all like these cholesterol filled fat guys. Uh, you know, like well, the one guy Robert De Niro is so ripped yeah. in this movie. He is oh, like my ripped. God. And he's still it's like insane. He was like probably fifty or sixty. He must have been um, he was I don't think, you know, nineteen ninety. I don't think he was that old. It was ninety one, so but he's still a good I mean, taxi driver, what year was taxi driver? Seventy nine ish. He's more ripped than he was yes. in taxi oh. driver. Like taxi driver on steroids. <laughs> and Daddy his De Niro. main yeah, it, his main competition and, is a retired cop who drinks Jim Beam and Pepto Bismol oh, cocktails. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> De Niro's character is one of my favorite I wish there was a whole series of Cape Fears. Yeah. Um, yeah. because uh, he just gets such good revenge so good um, uh, it's I almost wish I almost I, I don't want to give away the ending but I wish the other person won at the end wow <laughs> I, know, I hadn't I hadn't seen this probably since I'm pretty sure I saw it in the theater um, and I don't know I don't remember the last time I saw it but right away the soundtrack the score to this iconic yeah. The mm-hmm. opening scene of, of De Niro as Max Caddy in leaving prison, iconic. I mean, the cigarette lighter, you, you know, a small oh detail, but the <laughs> yes. cigarette lighter, the cigar yeah. a lighter, I should say. I want that lighter so bad. <laughs> I, everything about it is it's larger than life the whole movie is larger the than life. the scene when he's on top of the the smoking the cigar on top of the wall oh, with the man, fireworks, the fireworks. Him. that, that is like, that's one of the most, most iconic shots of all time absolutely like i want that poster on my wall it's so good i mean how, how about how about him, christmas how trent how about him getting out of prison and going to a movie theater to laugh maniacally at the movie problem child Oh, man. Oh, is that what so the movie good. was? Yeah. I was wondering with John Ritter. <laughs> yes. I thought that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, I, so let me set this up because I didn't really set it up. So if you haven't seen Cape Fear, um, you've missed out and you really got to just go see it because it's great. But you can't really go see it. It's about a – well, yeah, you have to bring it to your home. But uh, see, see Cape Fear. It's definitely worth a rental. I don't it's on Netflix I now, it. of course, as soon what? as the week oh, is? is over. It's on, now oh, it's on Netflix. Yeah. Oh, All right. Cape Fear on Netflix. Wow. Um, so it's this, um, I would say, corrupt lawyer uh, who didn't give uh, this guy a fair shake on a rape case or a sexual assault case. And... He just misrepresented um, Max Cady, uh, played by De Niro, and Nick Nolte being the, the lawyer. And so this guy gets out of prison uh, much more educated. Uh, he's had years to plan the strategy. Um, he's, he's ripped. Uh, he's ready to go. He's like a very very formidable adversary for anyone uh he's a beast and he's unrelenting and he just exacts revenge on this lawyer's family and really just the the harassment and i don't know it's it's just this really flamboyant sort of harassment. It's uh, very showy, and uh, he's wearing Hawaiian shirts That's and smoking so cigars. And it's he's just, driving the convertible. He's this so good. Yeah, it's he's a bad man, but it's it's hard to not root for it's him. It's a uh, 
De Niro oh, kills God. it. It's a, it's a great mix of somebody's true sadistic nature. This guy is obviously a sociopath, a psycho, but a great mix. Like he fucks with the wrong but, guy. But a great mix of how he used his time in prison to literally focus on nothing but revenge. To one, get super jacked, but two, educate himself so hard about the legal system that fucked him that he gets out of prison and uses every little thing he can to make sure that what he's doing for the most part is totally legal he stays just the side of the law yes or or, i mean even better yet just this side of the wall yeah he loopholes the 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 fuck out of a lawyer who they're usually the ones that do that to you, but uh, I, I like I like that part of the revenge part, the um, the brain and the brawn, and th- that made him just like. That's why I kind of wish he wanted. Well, to it gets because you know what? But it gets very <laughs> it gets very complicated though because first off, usually, and I, I I had forgotten the actual details of the lawyering that he was mad at because I was thinking, and normally in this kind of setup. The guy gets out of prison, he goes after the DA, the prosecuting attorney, who put him behind bars. So in this movie, he's going after his own defense lawyer who Mm -hmm. didn't do his um, job. The reason he didn't do his job is that Max was uh, accused of a a brutal rape and assault. And his defense attorney buried some evidence that the victim of this crime had been uh, seen as promiscuous. This was, I believe it was a teenager. Um, mm-hmm. He buried evidence Yeah, she that, was 16. Right, she was 16 years old, and there had been evidence that had come up that she was quote-unquote promiscuous, and his lawyer buried it and didn't want to use it because it felt like it just was, it was too immoral. He did the crime. He was terrible. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting spin and complicating, especially in this day and age, um, for this movie to be dealing with that kind of concept back in 91, I thought that was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And also it's a, you know, there's a, a class battle that's also happening at the same time too. You know, you, that's what makes you kind of torn between all the characters because, you know, Max Katie is a horrible character. Um, you definitely get the feeling that, he probably was guilty. You see enough of his behavior that you you just you just know he probably did these things. Um, although they never they never show that it just kind of starts in the present day. But but they they pull you because it's like this underdog character who couldn't afford legal representation. He was at the mercy of this lawyer so you almost you almost feel bad or you almost are rooting for the mm-hmm. underdog because the lawyer's just like this rich douche yeah that cheats on his wife and plays racquetball right. or what is what's that called racquetball volleyball very 90s detail very 90s yeah racquetball i think um, is what it is yeah that that's also interesting because um what like in the beginning of the movie when you know robert janeiro starts to go after nick nolte's you know, like harassing them. He tries to pull the, well, we'll just give him some money. But then he's like, I have money. So he try, you know, he tries to pay off his problems thinking that, yes. oh, this guy that just got out of prison, it's fine. I'll just give him like $30,000 and it'll be fine. And then he's like, nah, sailor, it's go time. 
it's fun. It's fun. He got like an inheritance or something mm-hmm. when he was in prison, yes. right? Yeah. yeah. So like he went from being like a dirtball to having all this money too. So he comes out of prison with knowledge, strength, and, and money. Yeah. <laughs> right. He's, he, you know, you can't get him anywhere. I love I watching think- uh, watching Scorsese uh, direct uh, a Nick Nolte, who is very much not a gangster. Um, but there's a portion of the movie where Nick Nolte decides to to fight back against Max Cady, against uh, Robert De Niro. Um, he's going to have to get a little gangster. And one of my favorite uh, parts of the film is, is I can't imagine, like, Scorsese directing Nick Nolte, like, okay, here's how you're going to be, like, this whack gangster and, like, totally fucking fail at it. Um, but those scenes are some of my favorite. And that to me is some of my favorite De Niro scenes, which could flip your allegiance to the antagonist, uh, is the way he handles some of the additional abuse that is tried to be doled out on him, and he just flips it on them. Um, whether mm-hmm. it's psychological or physical, um, those, I mean, the, the, the back alley dumpster scene is one of my favorite in the entire movie. I really love yeah, the... Um, the Mrs. Doubtfire scene, and I don't want to give it away in case people haven't seen it, but there is what I would call a Mrs. Doubtfire <laughs> scene. It took me a second. I'm like, you know you what talking I'm talking about? about. I'm talking about yeah. Drama, yeah. drama class. Yeah. yeah I'm, no. no, I'm talking about when. No, when the when you remember Mrs. Doubtfire, where Robin Williams dresses up as the elderly uh, lady. Yes. Oh, right. Right, right. De Niro has sort of a classic Mrs. Doubtfire moment in this that's too good to give away because I know this is old, but a lot of people probably haven't seen it. So uh, that yeah. was really memorable to me and really, uh, again, just this is just a parade of like iconic images and scenes, the whole thing. And this was early Juliet Lewis. Yes. yes. I thought uh, she was really great in this in the um, – the, t- the it, tension it dripped with grime. Uh, <laughs> Max Katie is um, preying on the lawyer's daughter, which is played by Juliette Lewis. And yeah, that, it's gross. Uh, so gross. The the drama, but it's, it's kind of hot. You know what I mean? The, the drama. The <clears throat> no. The, the drama class. <laughs> the drama class scene between uh, De Niro and Lewis, uh, which is one of the most, I think. I mean, we're just going to call every scene in this movie iconic, so I'm going to stop using it, that they word. Are, I mean, they all are. There's a great scene where Robert De Niro gets into Juliette Lewis's school and is in her drama class, and they have a one-on-one interaction. Um, and it, it, it's super gross. Uh, it's so ugly. That, uh, uh, Scorsese intentionally had them not rehearse that and just do three consecutive like improv takes, and they ended up using the very first one. Uh, that they did. And also, Juliette Lewis had no idea that De Niro was going to do a certain physical thing that he does. Uh, all all he did was go up to Juliette Lewis and say, he's going to do something. Her reaction was interesting <laughs> well, that's, that's then if great, she didn't know. Her, exactly. She is that's, amazing. She's, she's amazing, amazing in this movie. Yeah. But that would also really... Uh, freak you out if you are an actress about to go into that especially with an you're a fairly new actress and you're about to do a scene with robert de niro unrehearsed 
and he shows up covered in tats with all these muscles. It's like he's gonna do something to you. It's like that's so scary. Um, yeah, that's that's why it was so effective. Every once in a while, I look that's why Juliet Lewis is so good in this because she perfects that that kind of vibe. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I know this is bad, but it's so attractive. I don't care how bad it is. Like he's paying attention to me. Yeah, I mean, it's so oogie, but it's so realistic. It's, she just it's so it. realistic, absolutely. And it's like this movie was so good. It was just like the right amount of fucked up. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like I'm ruined for the rest of the day. Like I need to, you know, take watch some Bob's Burgers on repeat. But it was cry. like just fucked up and yeah. Just fucked up enough. Had you seen it before? I had never seen it before. I don't know how I went my oh. whole life not watching this movie. It's so good. One thing, De Niro, his accent in the movie is fantastic, and his teeth are oh. so fucked up. So good. He spent five grand to have his teeth filed down and then spent $20,000 <laughs> after the movie to have them restored to normal. There's a great scene, too, at, Dedication. Uh, at the end, which ties into a movie we just talked about, um, The House That Jack Built. At the end of this movie, Max, Katie, De Niro's character, tells uh, Sam, uh, Nick Nolte's character, that he's Virgil guiding him to the ninth circle of hell, which is Mm -hmm. the exact same Mm -hmm. sort of conceit that um, Lars von Trier used in The House of Jack Built. I thought that was interesting. So I can confidently say that I had never been sexually attracted to Robert De Niro. Until I saw this movie. Yeah, that's and right. And I was Ooh. just like, what's Me that either. name? Yeah. Who? Daddy De Niro was my yeah. favorite, was my favorite daddy of the week. Uh, I thought he was hot and dirty grandpa. <laughs> dirty grandpa? Cat, cat's the same, Cat is the same as Juliet Lewis in this. Cat is just th- as easily taken in by this bad boy thing as the character of the movie is. Listen, I don't want to say it's daddy issues because I think it's a whole other bag of tricks. <laughs> but you'd probably let him kill your daddy and have sex with him too. I mean, it's just the opening scene, just like zooming in on that back. I'm like, ooh, who's doing pull-ups? And then he walks up. And I'm like, Robert De Niro? That's him? And I would have. I think. I. I think if I were. In Juliet Lewis's shoes, I would have let him do that thing, stick that thumb in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs>